directed by Oliver Megaton. I kind of just say the guy's surname is great. I love Megaton. He sounds like a transformer, doesn't he? He's going to transform into a good director. Um, sorry, Oliver, I had to say it. As oh, you sweet Désolé, he is French. Welcome to episode 15 of the Danjo Film Show. It's our mid-year review special. We love these. And joining me, as always, he's my partner in crime, the one and only handsome devil, Joe Richards. Hello. Oh, handsome devil. You're the handsome devil. That's the best intro I've ever given you. So, you know, it can't get better than that. It beats beats B-Tech John Hamm, for sure. I think that that is like... (laughs) The worst introduction I think you've ever given me is uh, B-Tech John Ham for sure. That cut deep, that insult uh, in the past. But I know it comes oh, from a you... place of love. I know it comes from a place of yeah, love. Yeah, I, I hope you didn't go home and cry. That's not what I want. I did. I did cry. Oh. I think I cried for like two days afterwards. So I hope you do cool. feel awful about it. But you're the handsome devil today. You're wearing a ve- very fetching prison outfit. Um <laughs> Oh, you just love it, don't you? Yeah, I am. I'm well, actually, I'm a prisoner in the day. I work at Pizza Express in the night, actually. Uh, oh, I do right. a double, double shift. Yeah, double shift. Yeah, I'm wearing black and white stripes. Yeah, I know. Good joke, good joke. But it was funny because um, my, like, my good friend, Jenna, who's, who does my teaching course with me, we had to do a video today and she was wearing the exact same part with me. And it was like, oh, look at us. We're like two prison inmates. It was great. It was great. Like, the, the, you know, just we planned this day and yeah, we just wear the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Are. are you studying in the College of Crime, the University of Crime? Is that why you're doing, well, like doing a promotional video? Hey, kids, come and join, learn how to be a criminal at uh, Dan and Jenna's University of Crime. Well, after watching a particular film about crime, I really do feel like committing crime at this point, to be yeah. honest with you. Um, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to study that. <laughs> yeah. Everything's been good. How are you, brother? Obviously, lockdown continues. It just feels like normal now, doesn't it? It's very strange. It does, yeah. Lockdown continues, but rules have been relaxed. Obviously, have been now for, for a couple of weeks. And all signs are po- pointing to that getting better, you know. I think deaths are at the lowest they've been since pre-lockdown. And I think all being well, hopefully in the next couple of weeks, obviously cinemas are supposed to be reopening. And I think things might end up being back to normal or the new normal, which is sort of the phrase everybody is using. And, and, and that's kind of exciting. I think I'm kind of getting mentally prepared to get back to that normality because I haven't been in Cardiff city centre for like four months now so that's gonna be like a weird shock to the system going back to that I'm looking forward to it Dan and I'm looking forward to seeing you in person I know I say this every single show it feels like but yeah just looking forward to kind of getting back to that routine and everything like that but how have you been uh, you've been a busy boy with your uni work which is almost coming to an end I believe is that right 
It is indeed, yes. I will be finishing university. I will be a qualified teacher. And yeah, you're so right. Like, I really miss routine. I miss structure. I'm basically like a child. I just need routine. Otherwise, I'd go nuts. And yeah, just like I was saying to you, I miss Friday nights. I don't know about anyone else listening, but Fridays don't feel like Fridays no more. They've lost their sparkle, you know? It's just great. You know, I, I always love whatever you did on a Friday night, whether, it's, whether you stayed in, went out clubbing, went to the cinema, it always felt special that Friday night. The weekend was coming. And now, Friday could be a Tuesday. I don't even know anymore. I wake up, I think, you know, what, what century are we in? Who's the president? <laughs> oh, you best forget who the president is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that um, is for yeah. sure. But I tell you what, one thing getting me through is doing this show. I love this show. We did it before in our old radio show. And this is the first one we've ever done for our podcast. And it's the mid-year review special. Basically, we look back over the last six months of 2020 or, or what we had of it. And we look at kind of the best films of the year and the worst films of the year. Films that we found to be kind of exceptional and films we found to be absolute trash. And so obviously, like looking back, it's been a strange year. Normally, like we've got so much variety and there's so much choice. Not, not so much this year. I don't know about you, like I've got like less than half from last year in terms of films. But how, how would you describe so far this year? Because obviously we had up to like end of March in cinemas and then obviously it kind of all went to streaming. So what do you think, Joe? What do you think so far this year? I think it, it has been a really weird year in terms of obviously the usual kind of film viewing that, that we're used to. I think you, you summed it up there by saying variety. Variety is what I think I miss most. I miss being surprised by films. Mm-hmm. I, I miss like literally me, me and you, obviously our usual routine would be for all the listeners out there, our usual kind of weekly routine would be Tuesday, have a look at the cinema listings for the Friday, plan our Friday kind of viewing, whether that's two films, three films, Four films sometimes. Um, 72 films. Yeah. And I miss having that feeling of checking the cinema times and being like, oh, I've never heard of this film before. And then like kind of going to see a random movie and being like blown away by how good it is. There's been a few examples of that at the beginning of the year, films which I wasn't expecting at all. Like Queen and Slim, where did that movie come from? I support what y'all doing. It was self-defense. I'm tired of playing the safe. I want to ride or die. Y'all really gave us something to believe in. Thank you for this journey. No matter how it ends. I miss being surprised. I miss having that, that variety. The problem is, obviously, with being at home, I don't think we've seen enough of that variety. I will say praise to Netflix. They have put a lot of foreign language films on there. But, you know, they don't, they're on Netflix for a reason at the end of the day. There's been very few kind of um, streaming films which I've seen which have kind of really stayed with me and really blown me away and I do miss like the kind of indie movies I miss independent cinema and yeah I'm just kind of missing that variety like you said how would you sum up this year so far for you Dan? I'm in total agreement not only do I miss the routine of going on a Friday night getting our coffee going for food 
you know, it, it made an experience. And I think that's what we've missed, haven't we? An experience. I gotta say at the start, I quite liked it. I was like, this is a nice change of things. Then it got like a month in and I was like, okay, I'm getting tired of this now. And you're right. I think it's really interesting what you said about kind of no surprises. Because I think even on Netflix, before you even click play, they play the trailer for you. So there's no, I'm, I love, I love, like I said, I love the days when, you know, certain films, like the one I'm going to mention later on, where I knew nothing about it. Sometimes we didn't even watch the trailer. Sometimes we would just see this random indie film pop up in a cine world and just think, oh my goodness, like what on earth is this about? Sometimes we'd be pleasantly surprised. Sometimes we'd walk out and be like, what was that? But you're right, there was the surprise. There was no expectation going in. And not only that, like I, I struggle watching films now. Like I have to watch them in two parts, even if they're a short movie, which is crazy. And I don't like that. I like sitting and, and viewing the whole film in a go, which I found so easy at the cinema and I find so hard on at home. But you know, like you said, who knows, you know, fingers crossed the next six months, you know, cinemas will be open again. I'm so ready right now. Like, I think if they open right now, it'd be perfect. But yeah, you know, I think Netflix, I've got to give a shout out to. I think they've been great. They've, they've won me over. I feel like I kind of liked Netflix before, but it was a last resort for me. Like, you know, if it was nothing at the cinema, then I would watch on Netflix. Now, I've got to say, I think on the whole, they've delivered some really interesting films, films that you wouldn't necessarily want to see at the cinema, which is, which is I think, is their niche. I think they should definitely focus on those movies. But then you have films that they release that you're thinking this should be at the cinema. So it's even been up and down, but yeah, definitely miss those Friday nights at the cinema. Hopefully in, I think, four weeks' time or three weeks' time, we'll be sat there ready for Christopher Nolan's Tenet and whatever else Ooh. might be out at that point. No, you, you, had, you had like shivers just thinking about I did. that moment. My, my, my arm hairs are poking up right now. <laughs> oh. And if I'm lucky, I might get to hold Joe's hand <laughs> during the scary bits. <laughs> yeah, that's never yeah. happened. But, you know, maybe, no. maybe, because I've who missed knows? you so much, who knows? You're not shooting the bullet. You're catching it. Whoa. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. It's inverted. Someone's manufacturing them in the future. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. Like we always do in our mid-year review, uh, Joe and I have chosen our favourite film so far this year and our least favourite film so far this year to chat about. And then after we've done that, we're gonna, we've got a little treat for you. We're going to give you a bit of a sneak peek into the next six months. So what new releases are supposed to be coming out in cinemas for the rest of 2020. So look forward to that. But first, let's get to the worst of the year. Um, shall I kick us off with my worst film of the year? You go for it. Um, and this is interesting. This is brand new, basically. And this is a film we have not spoken about on our other episodes. It just came out on June 5th. And this is Last Days of American Crime. signal freezes you it stops you from doing anything illegal they use the signal to kill your brother i want to use it to steal their money what do you say brick you a man who can help me steal 30 million dollars 
because your brother thought you were. What about the girl? You ever hear that expression? Behind every great man is a woman. I'm just a girl who likes fast cars and big numbers. What's your angle? In the light of the signal, cops turn in all the weapons. One thing you're gonna learn about me is that I'm all about timing. You can have money, but when you pull off the last crime in American history, that's legacy. So you want revenge? I want legacy. We're all hurt the ones who try and love us. I feel like one of us is gonna take a bullet tonight. You go first. It's directed by Oliver Megaton. I can't just say the guy's surname is great. I love Megaton. He sounds like a transformer, doesn't he? He's gonna transform into a good director. Um sorry, Oliver, I have to say it. As you sweet Desole, he is French. And he's a director of Taken 2 and 3, did not know that before uh, before this film. And this stars Niels Klasser and Edgar Ramirez from the Point Break remake. Uh, that was a classic. And you've also got Nathan Lynn in here, some really, really famous faces. And basically, this story is fantastic, a really nice concept to this. Uh, it's set in the not-too-distant not future, basically as a response to terrorism and crime. The US government creates a signal, and whenever this signal is played, it stops all crime and basically whatever the criminals are in, whether it's a burglary or murder, they stop what they are doing and basically they minimise all crime without having to deploy all the police and the staff to do it. Edgar Ramirez, he plays a boy, guy called Graham Brick. His brother is in prison, something happens to him and basically he is uh, contacted by uh, one of his friends to basically carry out this bank heist and it's going to be the last ever American crime. Funny title to this because this really did feel like the last days of good filmmaking. So this is Certificate 18 on Netflix. I watched the trailer, thought it looked pretty cool. Great concept, we both agree. Fantastic concept and let's just hope it's executed right. We see a lot of movies, we see good films, we see bad films, we see films that are so bad that we laugh. I've got to say, I think this is probably the worst experience I've had in a film for years, for a long, long, long time. I think this, yeah, it's just atrocious. I found the film ugly. I found it overly gory. I found it tedious and really pretentious. It does nothing with this concept. You know, when you think of it, it could be, like you said, Joe, like the opposite of The Purge. We could have all these different characters and all their plans and what they're going to try and do before the signal goes off. I think it's a really interesting story about the police force and how the, how the signals affected them and how it's kind of made so many police officers unemployed. But the movie doesn't even scratch the surface. Instead, it focuses on these incredibly dull, obnoxious characters as they try and kind of pull off this heist for two and a half hours long. And you know what? I've never seen a film where it's a 90-minute film and they have literally stretched it so far. I mean, it's unbelievable. Every scene is just, feels so bloated. It's just not enjoyable to watch at all. And you know, like you said, like we see a lot of bad films and we laugh at them and we, and there's kind of a self-awareness to it. This film has no self-awareness. This film thinks it's the bomb. This film thinks it's like top of the cream of the crop. We're doing something really new with this concept. 
No, Oliver Megaton, you are not. I hated this. Edgar Ramirez, he is absolutely awful. He is stoic. He is robotic. He has no expression on his face. He just kind of stares at women and like shows off his muscles. And I just, honestly, I thought he was absolutely awful in this. Even as an action hero as well, like give me Liam Neeson any day in Taken 5. I'll take that over this any day. I don't know what it was about this film. I found it so hard to sit through. I couldn't wait to talk about it. I can't wait to rant about it. It's coming at a perfect time because this does really, you know, absolutely take the title the worst film of the year for me and the worst film I've seen for, for some time. It depressed me after watching. Oh, honestly, when you saw it and get, you know, gave it your review, I was like, oh, who knows? You know, maybe Joe's been a bit harsh on it. You, you hit the nail on the head there with this. I thought it was just atrocious. I'm sorry. I can't think of anything I liked in it. And, um, you know, I don't like saying that. I don't like bashing films, especially when, you know, there is a production team behind this, you know. It's not like a low-budget indie film. There's a good bit of money in it. But, yeah, just felt like it could have been suited better as a TV series over five episodes, to be honest, because it just did not work for me at all. And I'm not alone on this. I really thought I was going to be alone. I thought, oh, maybe critics will like it. Zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. And normally I'd be like, that's harsh, but I don't think it's harsh at all. I'm sorry. I, I hated this. But what did you think, Joe? I 100% agree with you on this. I, I was actually going to use this as my worst film of the year as well. But I, after hearing your very passionate review of it previously, I was like, no, Dan needs, Dan needs <laughs> this film as his worst film of the year for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really know what to expect going in. And I've got to say, when I went, sat down to watch the movie and saw that it was 2 hours 30 my heart sank because I was like, like Martin Scorsese's The Irishman released last year. That was three hours 30, you know, but arguably I had a problem with that runtime, but arguably that film kind of justified it because that is recounting the whole life, uh, uh, pretty much the whole life of, of a gangster, a real life person, delves a lot into the politics at, at the time that that film was set in. And, you know, you've got these great characters. You've got Joe Pesci, you've got Robert De Niro, you've got Al Pacino. Like, perfect, okay? No film should be three and a half hours long, in my opinion. And in this day and age where you've got, like you said, Netflix do a lot of mini-series and, and, you know, limited series and stuff like that, there's no excuse not to turn an overly long film into a TV series. The Irishman sort of justified it. The last days of American crime. I feel insulted. I feel like Oliver Megaton has put his middle finger up to me and to everybody else who's gonna, who wants to watch this movie. Because two and a half hours is just ridiculous for this type of movie. And, and it wouldn't be so bad if you didn't sit down and could easily pick apart a number of scenes which were just inconsequential or just didn't need to be in the film at all. So the length just really annoys me, just really annoyed me that the, the filmmaker and the production company thought they could have the cheek really to kind of make this film two and a half hours long. And I think you're right, I think it comes from a place of self-indulgence, self-confidence to the point where of a Megaton, instead of thinking about his audience and what would make for a better film, you hit the nail on the head. He was like, this is going to be a tremendous film. This is going to be, you know, the next kind of big gangster film, maybe like a franchise. Um, and it's not those things at all. 
I know the film is based off of a graphic novel, so I'm not sure if it's a case that he's kind of looked at the graphic novel and gone, well, I don't really want to take anything away from the graphic novel, so I'm just going to extend the film as long as I can to, like, you know, do the graphic novel justice. But that's not right. You've got to think about your audience as a filmmaker. You've got to think about editing, whatever the material is. God, if J.K. Rowling told, you know, the, the Warner Brothers people not to cut anything from her Harry Potter books, we'd be sitting in the movie theatre for, like, nine hours watching one movie. <laughs> so you have got to think about your audience when you're taking a source material and looking to turn it into a film. So just that whole thing really annoyed the hell out of me. Didn't need to be two and a half hours long. But the term ugly is one which I've seen being used for this film. It's one that I thought at the time uh, when watching the film, just from top to bottom, head to toe, it is an ugly movie. I just found that it, it attacked all my senses. It's ugly to look at. The, the music, the score, it's so loud and abrasive. It's like every five minutes, it's like, bam, bam. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, please give me a break. And it doesn't let up. It doesn't take a single moment to like let the audience breathe or to like develop characters, really. And the characters are annoying. Edgar Ramirez, I will say, I love him in other movies that he's done. I particularly loved him in a film which was released a few years ago by Scott Derrickson called Deliver Us From Evil, which was like this sort of exorcism movie, but it was like about an NYPD cop. And I loved him in that movie. And I wish it actually that that film could be turned into a series because it's got such a great concept. But yeah, he, where was his charisma? Usually you look at him in a film like Deliver Us From Evil and he has got bags and bags of charisma. In this film, I don't know where it went. I don't know if this is the director saying, no, your character needs to be this way, withdrawn, reserved, very stoic, as you said, or whether or not he just didn't like being in the movie if it was a paycheck for him. I don't know, but yeah, his charisma is all but gone here. The female character, I feel like, does kind of go back a little bit. It does feel very 90s in terms of her representation. The fact that within five minutes of being introduced to her, she's having sex with a stranger pretty much in a in a bathroom of like a bar. I think that is a very old school kind of 90s representation of, of a female character. So all that kind of stuff just accumulated to something which was overlong, unnecessarily drawn out, really ugly. Michael Pitt just yells the whole time. I didn't care about the characters. I didn't care about the story. And I've got to say, timing is everything as well. And I think the fact that this film has come out at a time where there's been a lot of stuff about police brutality and guns and violence, I don't think anybody's in that kind of frame of mind right now where they kind of want to sit there for nearly three hours watching people being like very violent and mean and nasty to people honestly i think netflix could have maybe improved things by postponing the movie even by a mm. couple of months maybe going maybe now's not the time So this is my worst film of the year. As I said, The Last Days of American Crime was very close for me. <laughs> Weirdly, this is another 
Netflix movie, and this is The Wrong Missy. <laughs> so great to see you. <laughs> you smell so good. What is that? Is that soap? Sorry, I'm a little sweaty. I had a little TSA pat down. Guess I'm too sexy. <laughs> no, I had a I had Sheila in my purse, but I got away with it because I told him it was a service knife. So don't worry, you're That's protected. <laughs> <laughs> what hmm. what are you doing here? 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 Yeah. Are these for me? Those aren't. You got me roses? That is so no. sweet. Mmm, I want to motorboat them. <laughs> I've never flown first class. This is crazy. Wait, what's in this bag? What in the world? Like free stuff? Oh my god. I didn't have any of this. Deodorant? This is perfect. Produced by Happy Madison Productions, the Adam Sandler Production Company, and all his friends are here to have a good time make a bit of money, go on a nice holiday. David Spade, he plays Tim Morris. The beginning of the movie starts off with him on a date with a girl called Missy, played by Lauren Lapkus. The date does not go well at all. This Missy is very loud, very chaotic, very forthright in terms of her sexual hopes for the evening. He basically tries to get out of that situation. He climbs out the bathroom window and he basically manages to escape that dating disaster. He then meets, sometime later, another Missy, who is the complete opposite. She is beautiful, she is calm, she is collected, she is professional. And he's like, this is the woman for me. He takes her number and he aims to invite her to a work retreat, a company retreat somewhere really lovely and nice uh, where everybody involved in this movie probably could get a nice tan uh, during, during the time they were filming it. He accidentally texts the wrong Missy. He texts the original Missy and she ends up coming along with him on this adventure and then it basically is all about him trying to manage the situation, trying to manage her crazy behavior. And somehow, maybe they'll fall in love. This film is just horrific. It is very problematic for me. First things first, it's not funny. I didn't find it funny at all. I think I might have chuckled once and I probably wasn't meant to chuckle at that point. I was probably just chuckling at the fact that how awful it was but I did not find the film funny at all. Now, for a romantic comedy, you expect it to be funny. I didn't laugh once. I found it really obnoxious. I found it really just in your face. Lauren Lapkus, I think, again, she is a performer who is talented in her own right, but what she does here with her character is just so abrasive, so annoying, so irritating, that I just couldn't get behind her character nor could I buy the fact that her and David Spade were gonna ever fall in love during the 90 minute runtime. I don't think the development in their relationship is a particularly strong one. It's kind of like 80 minutes of her being really annoying and David Spade trying to get out of the situation he's in and trying to get away from her. 
and then in the last 10 minutes him suddenly kind of going oh actually she's kind of nuts but I kind of like that and I think I'm actually in love with her now I didn't buy that whole relationship at all it's kind of goes out of its way to be gross as well you know you have like a moment with with a shark tank and somebody just like throwing up into like the water and I just felt that was like totally unnecessary and just like going out of this way to gross people out and then the kind of biggest thing for me is that it features two scenes which is basically this Missy character sexually assaulting David Spade's character he's on a plane he's asleep and he wakes up and she's doing stuff to him sexually which he didn't agree to or consent to. And then that happens again later on in the film. And they kind of just make a joke about it. Like, oh, you know, it's uh, it's funny because, you know, he's, he wasn't expecting it. And, oh, no, he's just going to go along with it now. And I think, no, like, first of all, if it was the other way around, you the filmmakers would never have even kind of floated that idea. They would have been like, we definitely cannot have a man have sex with a woman while she's asleep. Like that, that's gonna be, that's gonna cause such controversy. Like obviously they're not gonna do that, especially in this day and age. So it should be no different really for a woman doing it to a man, in my opinions. I, I know that they're trying to subvert the whole thing and be like, oh look, it's the other way around now. The man's having his day kind of thing. But I, I still think it's unnecessary. And I think any type of sexual assault or harassment shouldn't be made light of, especially in this current climate. At that moment, the wrong Missy crossed that line from just being unfunny to being unfunny and kind of offensive and really kind of unnecessarily vulgar. It offended me. And when a film kind of crosses that line to, you know, actually offending me, it, it's going to go to right down to the bottom of that list. So The Wrong Missy is my worst film of 2020 for sure. I felt bad talking about this because you weren't that kind of bothered by the wrong missy in terms of it didn't offend you really did it no no i i didn't like it i think likes a strong word but it just did it didn't offend me but i totally get your points now and actually i felt really silly when we reviewed it with rachel ragnar on our on our previous episode and we were talking about it and then you raised those points about sexual assault and i was like wow i feel like an idiot now because i i really didn't not not so much the plane scene i i kind of i understood that the, the scene after that yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, he's got a real point. I think there have been far worse happy mans. Like, this for me, like, was, I thought, kind of just something you can put on in the background while you're having your tea. I liked Lauren Aptus. I think she was given a really annoying character, and she went full, like, all the way with it, which I respect her for. I think she's really talented, and I think hopefully she'll get the, the be a better role next time. I think the fact Adam Sandler wasn't there helped a lot because... I hate it when he's there, Kevin James is there, like they, they get the whole gang there. They've got like Nick Swarson in this and Rob Snyder. And I was like, oh God. And actually when they pop up, that's the worst parts of the movie for me. Like I think he needs to push away from keep using these same actors because people are tired of them, I think. And actually the times they moved away from that and actually developed this relationship between the two of them, I thought those were the strongest parts of the movie. And actually, as you know, as a comedy, it's not funny. But as, I don't know, like the last 15, 20 minutes for me, I kind of thought that like David Spade saw a quirkiness to her. I don't know what it is. Uh, please forgive me for my sins. Um, <laughs> but uh, 
I don't know. I literally, I really went in one to hate it, but it just did nothing for me. I, it's a nothing movie. It's very dull. I think I was very easy on it first time around. I think looking back, you know, it's not a very good film. But for me, it won't be in my worst list. But yeah, it's just one of the movies I kind of forgot about, to be honest. Yeah, I totally get why it's in your worst film of the year. We can have a nice shower and rid ourselves of all this garbage. Um, now on to uh, the good stuff. And this is my favourite film of the year. It's a film I believe we've spoken about in like the first or second episode of the show. Came out early January this year and it's directed by Trey Edward Schultz. It's called Waves. Wingo right now. Wingo? Oh, Wingo right now. That's what's up. You think you can take the old man? Come on. What's up? Did you start? What a difference a day made. I'm trying to give you the tools to succeed in this world. 24 little hours. Everything I do is for you. Hey, stop. We are not afforded the luxury of being average. What a difference. I'm the one that's trying to hold this family together. Come on! You pushed him! What a difference. I'm sorry. Tyler, stop! And the difference... Is you. It's uh, stars Taylor Russell, Kevin Harrison Jr., who we know from Loose, really talented actor. Can't wait to see what else he does. And Sterling K. Brown, who I love. He's such a cool guy. I kind of want to be him. And I watched the trailer for this, and this goes to show now you should never prejudge a film. I watched the trailer for this, and it came out in a really busy week. I remember there was a lot of Academy films coming out. And I watched the trailer and I was like, oh, this looks so pretentious. Oh, what's it even about? And it just had like the Kevin Housen Jr. like in the waves with his like top off. And I was like, oh gosh, I was like, here we go. Uh, an Oscar bait film. And I went to see it on a Sunday afternoon. I was the only person in the cinema and I cannot explain the experience I have with this movie. It's such an immersive film. It's a stunning piece of filmmaking. And I just loved, I loved so many elements of the film. The lighting, the colour contrast, the fact that kind of the aspect ratio of film that you never really take, take for granted, to be honest. The way the director experiments with that as the tension builds in the first half of the movie. Oh, I've never felt anything like it before. My palms were sweaty. I was gripping onto the edge of my seat as we follow this young boy. But I can't really spoil too much about the film. And that's what I love about it. People say, what, what's the film about? And I'm like, well, if I told you anything about it, I'm kind of spoiling it, which is very few films you can talk about. But it traces the journey of this like suburban family. You know, they're middle class. They've got a young son who's, a, who's like big into sports. He's got a good career going. He's got great qualifications and something happens. And you kind of see his life go downhill. He has a very dominant father. Like the first half for me, it just builds that tension until this, this kind of really tragic incident happens, which I can't go into. And then the second half of the film is the recovery. It's kind of exploring how that affected the family and the dynamic of the family. And it's such a sensitive film. It's such a tender film. It doesn't waste too much time on kind of de developing this really over-the-top story arc and this narrative. It focuses on the characters, which I think is so important in any film. Like, I love a good story, but I love well-fleshed-out characters even more. Terrific performances, especially from Kelvin Harrison Jr. He is one to watch, 100%. And I think, you know, anyone else who kind of looked at it and thought, oh, 
not my cup of tea, looks very Sundance, looks very indie, really go out and scout this out. I know it's on Amazon right now and you have to pay like a little bit. Really go and watch it because I think it's a terrific piece of work. I'd be very surprised if this isn't my favourite film of the year. And again, it's a lesson to me, like don't prejudge films, go in with an open mind every time. Like, you know, there are certain films where we, we do judge them, but we can't help that. But this was a huge surprise to me. I, I loved every second of it. And you know what? After that first half, I was worried and I was like, uh, how's the movie going to pick up after this? Like, is it going to go downhill? It, it gets even more emotional. I, I loved it. No, not only is it kind of a stunning piece of filmmaking, but on a technical level, try something, try stuff so new with the light and like I said, the aspect ratio, all of that stuff. Underneath it, it's not just style. You've got some great characters fleshed out, some terrific performances. And yeah, like I left crying. I like, I was just like, wow, I've never experienced anything like this before. I just connected with this film. Like I haven't connected to a film in a very, very long time. So yeah, Waves is my favorite film of the year so far. So we had a similar experience. So I saw this on a Sunday, right before A Hidden Life. And the two, kind of comparing the two, I mean, A Hidden Life is like three hours long. And it, it's beautiful in its own right in terms of like the scenery and stuff. But like it's night and day, these two movies. I mean, what uh, I think Waves manages to achieve in its shorter runtime is far more than what, you know, a film like uh, Terence Malick's uh, Hidden Life manages to do it in its kind of even longer runtime. Yeah, I remember not knowing anything about Waves. I don't think I'd even seen a trailer or maybe I'd seen it once. But it wasn't a film, which I think to this day is shocking. It wasn't a film which had even kind of been considered for Oscars. It wasn't like a kind of Oscar buzz movie. I went in not knowing anything about it. I thought, well, if it's not being kind of discussed for Oscars or anything like that, surely it can't be anything special. And it just absolutely blew me away from, I think, second one. It's so visually striking for one, like from the offset, the moment it kind of opens up to this, this brightly coloured world, I, I, it just had me engage with it from, from the get-go. So it's lovely to look at and it's bright and it's bold. And then, as you said, the, rate, the aspect ratio stuff of it, I kind of clocked it probably 20 minutes or whatever in and I thought, oh, well, that's, that's quite interesting. Obviously, this is going somewhere. And there was a film which was released about, I think, 10 years ago now called Mother which did a similar thing with aspect ratio, which I, which I loved. As the aspect ratio starts to close in and around the lead character. I thought that was really interesting. Like you said, I was engaged with the characters. I was really invested and like excited to see where the story was going to go. Because obviously it, it does that great thing, which if you're a great filmmaker, you can manage to do. It like turns the film into a pressure cooker and the pressure just builds and builds and builds to that moment that you mentioned. And I remember that moment happening. I think I audibly went, oh, I think I literally went, <laughs> I, think, I think I literally because it is just a shocking moment. And if you watch it again, you can kind of see what's coming. But at that time, I just couldn't, I just didn't predict that happening. It was just silent in the cinema. I think everybody was really shocked by that. And like you, I had then some concerns because I was like, okay, there's like an hour left of this movie. So where's it going to go? Is it going to turn into something completely different? But the choice that it made, like you said, to kind of focus on the recovery 
to focus on how certain events can happen in our lives and like waves have that ripple effect so how our actions affect the lives of all those around us so suddenly kind of shifting focus from that lead character to his family members i thought was a really clever idea looking back at it now i feel like the film is more about the father's journey than anybody else's journey which is really interesting so yeah i just think it is it is in my top 10 i think it might be even be in my top five of the year i think again it's something which i miss so much about the cinema walking in sitting down and seeing a movie which i know nothing about and just being blown away So my favourite film of 2020, so far at least, is Parasite by Bong Joon-ho, who is a great director anyway. I've been a big fan of his for some time and it's great to finally see a film of his kind of get the kind of mainstream press, the mainstream attention that, that that director, that filmmaker has deserved for so, so long. Parasite basically tells the story of a family who are very poor. They kind of live in a basement. They, they get by as best as they can. They live in this dirty kind of part of town as well. You know, you've got people like peeing outside the window and stuff at night. And they try and... That um... sounds like Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically Cardiff City on a Saturday night out <laughs> Um, one of the son's friends basically approaches him, he's leaving the country, and he suggests that he takes his job, which is to teeter the, the young daughter of a very rich family, a polar opposite family, very rich. They live in the nicer part of town, and then from there finds ways to integrate his own family members into this posh family's world. So he manages to get his father a job as a driver. He manages to get his sister a job as a tutor for the young boy. He manages to get his mother a job as the kind of caretaker cleaner of this home. And it becomes all about this family, who this lower class family, basically trying to integrate themselves very sneakily, it has to be said, you know, the ways that they try and get themselves embedded into this home is they you know they, they they have no problems in being sneaky and deceptive and and doing whatever they can to basically get toward a life that they feel that they are entitled to and and that they deserve and this film when it came out it was the complete opposite of waves it had trailers everywhere the reviews were spectacular on the trailer saying you know it's like a one a kind of film i think one review was like this is the best film in the last 10 years to be made so going into it obviously and like my expectations were high and I remember seeing it in a packed out screen I think our good friend of the show and good friend in real life Johan Dyer had a very similar experience where people were just in complete silence the whole time watching this movie I was just taken with it from the get-go. I think it is a film which I had no idea what to expect. It just, the twists, the turns that this film takes are unlike 
the twists and turns I've seen in any film for a very, very long time. And I knew there was going to be something. I knew because, in again, in the trailers and things like that, it said, you know, the twists and turns are, are really incredible. So I knew that there were going to be some twists and turns. But when they happened, I still couldn't believe what was happening. And, like, it kind of starts off at this social commentary about working class versus higher class. And then about midway through, there's a scene which is set on this kind of rainy, dark night, which kind of sets the scene for the rest of the film perfectly. And they kind of go into the basement and they find something there. And the film just changes completely. It gets darker. I remember my jaw being on the floor like the whole time. I couldn't close my mouth, especially for that last hour, because I was just in shock and in awe of what was going to happen. It is a film, I think, which warrants revisiting, because the cinematography, as lovely as it is the first time that you watch it, since watching it, you can look at the cinematography of the film and the detail that Bong Joon-ho has put into this film. So there's always references throughout the film, specifically the, the rich father, always says that he hates the smell of the driver, but he never crosses the line. And that's something that he admires, that he never crosses the line. And going back and watching the, the videos and things that, and, uh, about the cinematography, the way that Bong Joon-ho uses lines and boxes in, in the shots is really clever. The way that he frames the characters so that they're never crossing the line until the mm -hmm. end where the line is sort of crossed. I just think it's really clever filmmaking. It made film history. It became the first film to not only get the best picture in a foreign language, but to get best picture overall. It's the first film, foreign language film, to get best picture at the Oscars. And I think when you compare it to like the past couple of years winners, something like maybe Green Book, which I do love, I do like Green Book. I think this is just on a whole other level. So it's just intelligent filmmaking. It, you don't know what you're gonna get from it. It's always changing the game. And yeah, I just thought it was darkly funny. There were moments which just made me feel uncomfortable. And I, I just think it's a really masterful piece of work. Yes agree with you with Parasite. It's incredible. It really, really is. Totally deserving uh, of the best picture. And it looks like we won't have an Oscars next year, so it might uh, carry on. It yeah. could be best picture again if it was. So it have <laughs> yes, they should do that. Or maybe not, maybe Waves. Maybe Waves and Queen oh, and Slim should finally get waves. their day. Carry me Waves, <laughs> I know. Hopefully. So that is our choice for the best and worst films of the year. So if, if you agree with us, please let us know. Contact us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at DJ Film Show um, to let us know your thoughts and which films really impressed you this year that maybe didn't get the recognition or some of the other uh, pieces of garbage that you just want to rant about. Because that's what it's all about. Letting that anger out, people. This is the purge of film reviews. We're going to end the show with just a look at the next six months all uncertain, we're sure, and some of the big releases that we're looking forward to. For me, I've got to say, obviously, the big one is very imminent, Christopher Nolan's Tenet, where I love Christopher Nolan and the fact that he's uh, stayed put with his release date. He hasn't decided to put it on streaming. You know, he's a big advocate of cinema. I know he loves cinema. 
and I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. Another film quickly just want to mention, uh, Wonder Woman 84. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. Life is good, but it can be better. All you need is to want it. Steve. I can save today, but you can save the world. That's another film that's kind of being pushed with release dates. And one film I want to mention lastly, God bless the new Mutants. They've not had a hard time. I think <laughs> they've had a really hard time finding, finding a home at cinema. And there was a point people were saying, should, should, you know, should they put it on streaming? I feel sorry for this film and I'm looking forward to this film. I think it's really interesting, a lot darker. It's kind of a spin-off of the X-Men series. And I do like the X-Men films, even though a lot of people have given up on them. And it's the last kind of, it's kind of film that's not associated with the MCU, isn't it, really? It's the last one of its kind. It feels like Fox just wants to get this out of the way. But yeah, that's got a release date of 28th of August at the minute. But that is one that's just been bouncing from one release date to the next to the next. So yeah, if you're a fan of the X-Men, you might enjoy that. New mutants are dangerous. That's why you're here. Ooh, scary. Oh. This isn't a hospital. It's a cage. Together, we can get out of here. That thing will kill you! He's right, it's magic! So am I. I think if it, if it gets a cinema release at all, that film has done wonders, you know? I think it deserves it by this stage because it's been through so much, this movie, in, in like reshoots and getting pushed back and delayed and then COVID to kind of top it all off. I think the film has kind of earned its way to kind of be shown in the cinema, I would say. And the film itself, eh, we'll see. I think it'll be hard for people to go in without preconceived ideas about what the film's gonna be like now. And I think a lot of people will be going in, especially if they're X-Men fans, hyper-critical from the offset because of all the reshoots. So, but I'll go in with an open mind. And I, like you said, yeah, I think it looks interesting. It's got great cast as well. The ones I wanna mention, I wanna start off by mentioning Bill and Ted Face the Music. 25 years ago, you played a concert in front of the entire world. One month ago, you played in Barso, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted, what have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. We're supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! Take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, How'd you like our song? 
It's a little on the dark side, but you know, that's cool. Bill and Ted 3, after all these years, is finally coming out. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, back in the phone box. I think that'd be fantastic. I think that'd be very nostalgic. And I'm looking forward to having, hopefully, a really good summer comedy to watch on the big screen. Can I just ask, who are Bill and Ted? Are they friends of yours? Oh, <laughs> you know I don't watch anything pre nineties. days. <laughs> oh, my days. Bill oh, and Ted. I'm joking. Oh, I can't believe it. We're going to have to get you caught up before the third one, that's for sure. You're um, going to have to be my film tutor. <laughs> yeah, definitely. A few weeks later, you've got a film called... A Quiet Place Part 2, which I'm sure you've heard of. I'm very much looking forward to. I was gutted because I was a big fan of the first Quiet Place. I think it was like my favourite film of that year came out. And I was this close to booking tickets. I think Quiet Place Part 2 was due out like the week that we eventually went into lockdown. So it was yeah. like so close, but yet so far. So I'm very excited to finally see that. And around that time, there's another film coming out I just want to mention quickly, Sound of Metal, which has been getting a lot of buzz around it, and um, which stars Riz Ahmed, and he plays a heavy metal drummer whose life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. He's played the festival circuits quite heavily, and a lot of people are uh, kind of raving about that one. So I'm excited for that. And then the last one I want to mention is obviously Bond, James Bond. What is it? You don't know what this is. James, now your enemy is my enemy. How did that happen? Well, you live long enough. You ready? You're late. No Time to Die, which I'm very much really want to see right now, to be honest, because as time has passed, I don't know if you've seen, there's been a lot of spoilers in the press about certain aspects oh. of the film. Yeah, just yesterday, I think three newspapers literally put a spoiler in like the the kind of headline of the piece so you can't even avoid it so i'm really excited to see that now but mainly so that the whole film isn't spoiled before i see it so a good few films there i think as you said maybe they'll get pushed back again dates are up in the air at the moment but I, you know those are the ones i'm excited for anyway absolutely fingers crossed guys you hope you know hope and pray that they all get their release date because it is exciting just to look at those films and be like, oh, and uh, yeah, Quiet Place 2 as well. I'm especially excited for hopefully nobody farts or burps in the, in the cinema like young Joe used to do, didn't you? Back what? Little <laughs> <laughs> burping incident with the I, girls. I, I burped. I've never farted on someone. In no, this no. He's more classy than that. He's yeah. more classy. I've done far worse. Don't worry. I've done far worse. <laughs> I uh, <bet> <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, please let us get, 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 in talk, uh, get in contact with us and uh, let us know what releases you're looking forward to seeing. You can get in touch with us uh, again on Facebook under the Dan Joe Film Show. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at DJ Film Show. So please get in touch. And don't forget, you can listen to all our old episodes on Mixcloud, uh, Spotify, iTunes, and you can catch our individual reviews on YouTube as well. And we'll put all the description, the links below. Uh, a big thanks again to Mr. Joe Richards. 
Thank you very much. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Bye-bye.